Hi everyone, and welcome back to the 21st episode of the Let's Talk Law podcast with me, your host, Wendy M. If you tuned in last week, then you would know that we talked about the case Terry v. Ohio. If you remember, while talking about that case, I mentioned something called the exclusionary rule. Today, we'll be talking about a case that deals with the exclusionary rule and diving into more detail about it. Before we start, let's get some background information out of the way. We know that the Fourth Amendment protects against unreasonable searches and seizures without a warrant. From 1789, the Constitution's ratification, to the early 20th century, when a person's Fourth Amendment right was violated, they could only recover damages or recover their goods or property. It was not until 1914 when the United States Supreme Court decided on the case Weeks v. United States that said any evidence obtained by federal law enforcement officers in unconstitutional ways could not be used in federal criminal proceedings. Over the next few decades, the Supreme Court would hold that the exclusionary rule only apply to cases where federal officers were involved in illegal searches and seizures. This is important, so make sure to keep it in mind. Another court case, Wolf v. Colorado, took place in 1949. Here, the court surveyed the existing U.S. states and found that 17 states adopted the exclusionary rule from weeks in their own state law. However, they also found that 30 states had rejected it. The conclusion was that not adopting the rule was not a quote-unquote departure from basic standards, end quote, of due process to allow states to use illegally obtained evidence in state trials. In 1952, however, in the case Roshan v. California, the court required a California state court to include evidence that state officers unconstitutionally obtained because the officers used, quote-unquote, conduct that shocks the conscience, end quote, violence or brutality. It was not until 1961, the year our case takes place, that things changed. Since that's all of the background information that we need, we can jump right into this week's case. It just so happens that it also took place in Ohio. Today, we'll be talking about MAP with two P's v. Ohio. Dolly with an R, also called Dolly, MAP was a young woman who became involved in the illegal gambling operations of the mobster and racketeer Shondor Burns. Burns dominated organized crime in Cleveland, Ohio in the 1940s and 50s and was once labeled the city's public enemy number one. On May 23, 1957, the Cleveland police received an anonymous tip saying that a man named Virgil Ogletree could be found in Mapp's apartment along with betting slips and equipment for a numbers game, or illegal gambling, set up by Mapp's boyfriend. Algotree was involved in the illegal betting scheme in Cleveland, centered on the city's Short Vincent, a street in Cleveland. The police had some questions for Algotree about the bombing of gambling racketeer Don King's home 
which had occurred three days earlier. Originally, three police went to Mapp's home and asked for permission to enter, but Mapp had consulted with her lawyer on her phone, who told her not to let them in unless they had a search warrant. After this, two of the officers left, and one remained to watch the house from across the street. Three hours later, more police officers arrived at Mapp's house. When they knocked and nobody responded, they forced the door open. Mapp asked to see their search warrant, and the police showed her a slip of paper, which she quickly took from the officer and put inside her dress. The police managed to recover the piece of paper, but it was never seen again by Mapp or her lawyers. Additionally, the so-called search warrant was not used as evidence in any of the following court proceedings. As the police searched her second-level two-bedroom apartment, they handcuffed her for being hostile and aggressive. The police searched her home thoroughly, but found no sign of Ogletree. However, they did find a couple of other things. In the basement of the home, the police found bedding slips, a pistol, and a small number of lewd photos and magazines, which was prohibited under Ohio state law. Mapp claimed that a previous tenant had left them behind. A few months later, Mapp refused to testify against Burns and his associates at their trial for attempting actions against King. She was also prosecuted for the possession of obscene books. She was found guilty of, quote-unquote, knowingly having had in her possession and under her control certain lewd and lascivious books, pictures, and photographs in violation of 2905.34 in Ohio's revised code, end quote, and her sentence was one to seven years in prison. She was convicted even though her prosecutors were not able to produce a valid search warrant. Remember how I mentioned how nobody ever saw the supposed search warrant again? Mapp appealed to the Supreme Court of Ohio, which affirmed her conviction. It ruled that even though the search warrant may not have been valid, the police officers did not use brutal force against her, which was from the court case Roshan. Wolf also made it so states didn't have to follow the exclusionary rule. Later, the Supreme Court of the United States granted certiori and agreed to hear her case. It was argued on March 29, 1961, and the decision was made only a few months later on June 19, 1961. It was a 6-3 decision in favor of MAP. The judges on the case were Warren, Black, Frankfurter, Douglas, Clark, Harlan, Brennan, Whitaker, and Stewart. The majority opinion was written and delivered by Justice Clark. He was joined by Douglas, Warren, Black, Brennan, and Stewart. The court overruled the Wolf ruling and said that, quote-unquote, all evidence obtained by searches and seizures in the violation of the Constitution is, by that same authority, inadmissible in court, end quote. He said that without the exclusionary rule, the Fourth Amendment would be an empty amendment with no value to Americans. Additionally, because prior court cases ruled that the Fourteenth Amendment incorporated the Fourth Amendment against the states, the court held that this applies equally to federal and state criminal proceedings. 
This basically made the exclusionary rule apply to all states, not just federal courts. The dissenting judges were Frankfurter, Harlan, and Whitaker. It was written by Justice Harlan, who wrote that Mapp's conviction and appeal was about the legality of Ohio's anti-pornography laws and not about the absence of a search warrant. If I had to give a quick summary of this case, then I would say that the police entered and searched a woman's home without presenting a valid search warrant. They found incriminating material and convicted her. The precedent was that illegally found evidence in state courts didn't have to be excluded, but the woman appealed on the basis that her Fourth Amendment right was being violated. The court overturned the precedent and said that any evidence unreasonably obtained is not allowed to be used in court. I thought it would make sense to put this case right after Terry v. Ohio, since the two of them tie in perfectly. Map v. Ohio can add a lot to our understanding of what the exclusionary rule really is and just why it's so important. Before I end off this week's episode, I do want to add in our little fact. This week, it's from the state of Wyoming, where it's illegal to ski while intoxicated. The law says, quote-unquote, A. No person shall move uphill on any passenger tramway or use any ski slope or trail while such person's ability to do so is impaired by the consumption of alcohol or by the use of any illicitly controlled substance or any other drug defined by WS 3571002. WS 357 is just another part of the Wyoming Code. Maybe this law isn't so strange since it makes perfectly sense to want to stay safe while skiing. And so, that's the end of this week's episode. If you like the episode or want to give me any suggestions, feel free to email me at letstalklawwm at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at letstalklawpodcast. Remember to check back every Thursday at 4pm Pacific Standard Time for a new episode. Until then, I'll speak to you next week. Bye!